this episode, we're talking about additive manufacturing and the road to success. Welcome to Interface Matters, a podcast about surfaces, engineering, and culture. My name is Matthias Hirsch, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Olivier Messé. Hi, Olivier. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? Good. You know, after from next, a um, lot of, uh, yeah, seen a lot of things, a lot of new things. Um, so always interesting. Um, how, how about you? What was the, um, kind of, you know, I, you know, you've talked to a few people, but you know, what is the overall grand arching kind of summary of, <laughs> of, you know, your week there? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm totally buzzing still and it's already been, well, more than two weeks since, since we've been there actually. Um, I think it was quite an interesting show, obviously after the, whole lockdown times when uh, conferences and, and, and trade shows were not very possible to have. Uh, now it's getting back to full force and, and it was really great to see so many people and um, just quite a lot of new innovations coming along and the the old uh, heavyweights in the industry kind of showing off what they can do and, and, and how they've progressed over the, over the last years. It was really, really interesting. Definitely lots of topics to talk about. And obviously that prompts the discussion of today uh, quite nicely. Yeah, exactly. The, I, you know, I was only there one day, so it was uh, a full day for sure. A lot of things to see in the day. Um, the, the thing that was kind of striking to me is, is definitely like how you know, plastic additive manufacturing is moving along quite well. Um, showcasing in cases, in some cases, quite a lot of, you know, their, their platforms, the, you know, how they see the, um, you know, their system being implemented into a production, food production um, set, which was quite interesting. And this is where you kind of see the difference, I guess, between, you know, metal AM in this case. So definitely in this episode, we'll limit ourselves to metal additive manufacturing. Um, to some extent, because, you know, plastic additive manufacturing has been kind of, you know, successful there is still you know a lot of development a lot of things to do but this is one of those um process which is definitely an, an industry that is definitely maturing um quite nicely um and instead we'll in this case we'll focus about you know powder bed fusion not because um not because there is only this process there's also technologies that we are aware of that's metal metal beta injecting uh electron beam melting um, DED and in direct energy deposition, whether it's with weather or powder, and and all of the um, hybrid manufacturing processes that you know combination of two or more processes. Um, but powder powder bed fusion is one of those that is relatively large within the the metal AM, um, and it's still not as you know common as you know plastic would be. And and then the question becomes, right, okay, what is the road to success? Um, and before that, there's a few questions, you know, we can ask already on top of that. This is like, well, what is success? I, I, th I think the definition of success really depends on the type of applications we talk about. Obviously, uh, if we separate this discussion, you know, away from the polymer side of things, maybe just very quickly, we can say, okay, the road to success in a polymer application would be completely different because obviously you're talking about not the high value added engineering applications, uh, just purely based on the, the uh, material properties and the, and the functionality that you can get out of it. So immediately we have to kind of jump to the, to the thought process of, you know, are we talking about the serial, serial production, series production? Are we talking about, um, you know, high performance metal components that, serve a, a function do we talk about integration of assemblies and all sorts uh, so it's it's i think not a simple question or, or or topic to answer and it's not a simple press of a button you have a solution and it just works kind of situation yeah i mean the, i mean i guess we can agree on this right <laughs> it's like we are not there where we can just press a button and then you know get everything right um but you know that would be widespread adoption and i guess this is what is targeted at the end of the day, you know, the success would be widespread, widespread adoptions of these advanced manufacturing techniques. And it would 
effectively be another um, another tool, another technology that you know people would be able to use. Um, so so I guess this is kind of far or not so far future, um, but this is not there yet. And I guess there is, as a result, you know, steps, stepping stones, um, where you could say, as you said, you know, getting series production into there. Of course, series production is nice and we need to have it um, quite a lot, but then that also means that the cost has to be um, interesting enough so that you know, it, it competes in this case with other uh, more well-established um, process, whether it's um, forging powder metallurgy or even um, kind of more conventional manufacturing uh, processes, machining is one. Um, and so for me, I think what we should aim for in, in the short term, right, is success or i would classify success for metal am in the short term as being adopted for critical application and here there is two things that comes to mind and if we want to be if we want this process to be adopted in for critical application then it needs to be both robust and reliable now Right. <laughs> this is easy. What, what does that mean? <laughs> now you need to explain uh, robustness uh, in in the context of of uh, the critical applications. Yeah, I think. I mean, we can even before we talk about you know robustness and reliability, um, we can talk about you know what is behind critical application or what are the requirement associated with critical application, and you know typically those are two. There's only two of them. There's quality and cost. Right? It has to be um, cost-wise sensible, um, so that it it is better or more cost-efficient than uh, another process. And the quality has to be either on par or superior to what is uh, existing already. Now, the problem with all of those two quantities, right, cost and quality, they are convoluted. Um, they are convoluted because the cost, for example, has uh, incited the cost of the raw materials, the cost of the manufacturing, and any subsequent process, which we know there is quite a few of them uh, that are that are there. Um, and we also have, when it comes to to, to the manufacturing time, how so has to be accounted, um, as well as the design, right? Because at the end of the day, if you have a very convoluted design. Um, that's going to translate into a cost, um, either a cost for the development or a cost for the manufacturing, because it's such a, a tricky that you may need to have, um, again, in a part of its fusion systems, you may have, you may need to have a, a, an area or a section of of your of your component with a lower a, a lower layer thickness, and and that has a cost, right? Um, and so. So the cost itself is is quite an interesting one because it's so convoluted. There's many things inside. The one that is convoluted too, but much easier, although more difficult to achieve, is the quality, right? Um, because when you, when we talk about quality, we're effectively talking about two things: um, bulk and surface. That's it. So the bulk materials has to be um, in par better than what could be manufactured with conventional processes, especially in the case of materials which are already been um, defined and used in other industries using other applications or using um, other means of manufacturing. Um, and, and surfaces is as we know, <laughs> surface matters. Um, and here the, the topic is more about normalizing the, the, the surfaces, making sure the surface is the same everywhere and in line with the requirements. Um, so those are the, the two things if we kind of, you know, take away the cost aspect and we are just looking at critical application those are the two things that need to be solved. No, that's somewhat easy, right? You just print better, 
that also has a cost and you maybe print slower as a way to, to have a more controlled process and you improve the process uh, to have better surfaces and you might want to add other surface finishing so that you have better surfaces. And here, this is where we can start talking about, I would say, robustness and, and reliability, right? And, 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 you know, kind of a quick definition of those um, there's few, if you look online, there's actually quite a few definitions. There's also um, a lot of really interesting way to, to graphically define, you know, what is robust and reliable. But, and, and I think to some extent, not that it has multiple meanings, but it can be interpreted in different way. The way that I like to look at it is a robust process is, is where the, the variation in the input has a small influence on the output. Um, at that point, your process is robust. That doesn't mean that your process is good, though, because you could be, uh, you know, you can have a very robust process that is still providing you really bad results, or let's say, not as good as 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 the the requirements that were set. Um, whether it's 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 the materials requirement or or customer requirement, or final application requirement. Um, the yeah, I mean, so, so essentially. Uh continuously producing bad parts all the time <laughs> at least you can do that but i mean that doesn't really give you the solution to the problem well, right this is this is this is this is more like you're producing bad parts but you're producing bad parts really consistently with a really small standard deviation if you like so they are constantly bad so yep. they, they are always bad but they are bad in the exact same way <laughs> right? I, I honestly don't think any customer would want this <laughs> i think that's still a fail and not a pass on on that front exactly exactly but but you know it's it's the um it's the 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 kind of well i guess the the, the story of 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 i've heard when i was when i was a student right and and there was like the, the story goes that there is this um uh like uh, not machine manufacturer, but there, there is this this company that basically built up cupboards, right? And and suddenly the the um, the, the supplier, so the supplier has you know they they put you know the, this one sheet at the back of of your of your cupboards as a way to 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 you know close it. You have that in, for example, IKEA uh, shelves or whichever. Um and and suddenly this this customer improve its process, right? So that the process is now so good that it just slides in no problem but then they cannot they, then it moves inside the part and this is where the you know someone initially they had problems because the process was was not robust enough and so it was they they had trouble to put those uh, those sheet of 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 um, of well, mdf or whichever uh, materials kind of at the back and they had to force it through, and then they tell to the customers like, "Hey, that's not good enough." And the customer just go improve it so much, but they didn't in this case improve the robustness; they improved the reliability, right? So, okay. so now it was too good, almost, but that was not very useful. Um, and so, so, so here, and so, so this is where we talk about you know reliable process, right? A reliable process is an optimum um, that was found. Um, so the, the you know we have an optimal input for, to get the optimum output, um, so it's so the best output. But, but that doesn't mean that there is no viability inside that, and so you need to control so that your process is both robust and reliable, um, which means you want a small like a, sm uh, a large deviation in your input has a very small variation on the output, and you want to produce high quality parts. That means that you sometimes don't actually want to. Uh, produce something which is at the optimum for performance, just because the deviation would be too too much uh, on the on the output. So, if I can very quickly kind of just like take the helicopter view onto this whole topic, maybe even yeah. go go slightly away from you know just an AM process. Um, you're essentially saying quality and costs are the deciding factors. I'm going to throw another one in, which you've mentioned already as well time and obviously there is this really famous triangle of you know quality cost 
and time at the at the three uh, vertices and saying you can only ever have two of of each well two two in in the production of your component and that still very much applies to an am process because as you quite correctly highlighted you know you could change your process parameter your build parameters to take longer in time thereby increasing cost but also in uh, in, in in quality or you could go the other way around and say you have you know less good parameters that produce quicker so your quality suffers from it so then you need to start thinking is my uh, process still robust enough and can i uh, match my reliability requirements that that i have for the component that i'm trying to to manufacture and now i'm going to throw another one in uh, to kind of give you a curveball what about serious production because all of a sudden now you're not only talking about the robustness of your process and reliability of one component manufactured but you're talking about a whole higher number so let's say 10 plus 100 plus 1000 plus in a in a short time frame so so how does that change the way we need to kind of think and look at this whole problem okay okay but you know you know we can we can um let's say we can lower the dimension, right? Time is money. <laughs> That's entirely true. Yes. Okay. So, so do we then have quality and, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the problem with cost. Like, as I said, right, the problem with cost is such a convoluted value, right? It, it has, you can put so many things inside cost and, and definitely to me, time is one of them. But of course, in some cases you want to say, well, I have to pro like I have to produce I don't know you know let's say 10,000 parts in an hour okay at a specific cost right and and at that point like and they say high quality parts and and here like because you have this metric which is per hour per day per 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 year then for sure you have to to kind of take away the 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 time from the costs um, just because you you need to actually do that to get this um, to be able to to establish what what you need to achieve and what what are the requirements right but at the end of the day and again this is you know simplifying the entire things to just two variables which is quality and cost of course you know we could just then pick this apart um, as I did from the cost you can do the exact same thing for the quality now the quality it's for an in part it's a little bit easier. Um, because again, it's like if we look at, and this is true for for, for 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 an additively manufactured component, but this is true for any component, is what is the uh, the, the difference? Um, I guess the, the big difference from a conventional component um, to an, an additively manufactured component is that you are manufacturing the bulk materials at the same time that you are manufacturing the surface. And that is the big difference. Um, because um, if you look at, at most of the processes, you would, um, and I guess casting is probably the, the, any kind of forging casting kind of processes, but typically if you look at, you know, which is um, probably a bad comparison because they always compare as in additively to subtractive, right? As in uh, machining to, to additive manufacturing. In one case, you take a billet, which has a specific bulk materials, and then you just mill away and create a surface. So you have that single process, a single process that makes the bulk and a single process that makes the surface. Here we have those two convoluted in additive manufacturing and part of it fusion uh, more specifically, but as well as other ones. And so the fact that you create those both means that you have to address both of them at the same time. Again, at the same time it is actually not true because you can have the best surface in the world um, if your bulk materials is not good. Um, you're not going to do anything. So there's still the point that you should start with the bulk materials, but you have to think that the surface is also important. Right? And so, and I would, you know, to, to your point about, you know, you had the questions like, oh, what do you think um, about series production? I would say you know, sales production is easy. It's like crazy, but sales production is easy because the reason why you have sales production is because you are, you, you, you can then put a process in place 
um, such that you get the exact same output again and again and again, right? That's that's the whole point of a sales production. And to some extent, the advantage of a sales production is you're going to produce so much that at the end of the, at the beginning, you can spend the effort um, to actually improve the process mm. so that is the same. Um, the challenging one is if you, you know, if a customer were to ask or, or let's say like a final customer, whether it's internal in the company or external in the company, like external, um, need to have one critical pro critical component. If is one, like to, to keep, you know, the easy example, right? It's space. You know, they're going to make one satellite, one, one of a kind, but the quality has to be absolutely perfect. And so how do you get there? And and I think so 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 I think realistically the I do you know ten thousand parts. It's going to be challenging, sure, but you're going to do ten thousand, so you can actually spend the time of you know optimizing the process such that you get the same things again. The question is, can you do this for one part? Is like and and the idea and the key idea here is to say it's one part, and it has to be right the first time. I was I was about to say exactly the same thing. So essentially, you're saying, you know, we need to have a, such a good understanding of our AM process that on the first try on this really complex new component for this process, obviously it's a one of a kind kind of component, um, especially with, with critical application. With right? critical this is, application, this is the thing, because exactly. you can do prototyping one of a kind. <laughs> That's so yeah, much yeah, yeah. Do. No, but but you need the performance as well as the complexity, exactly. as well as the high performance exactly. application. And, and you know load bearing capability uh, exactly. fatigue resistance creep resistance uh, what, whatever the requirements are so essentially we ne now need to delve way 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 deeper into understanding the whole process mm -hmm. chain not just the am process itself because obviously there is a lot of stuff coming before and after and actually that's very similar to a cnc machining application or, or, or um manufacturing uh, method because obviously you're starting from the billet material but the billet material would have to be manufactured before that so you have now essentially separated your manufacturing chain into a raw production of the billet material in whichever form function technology whatever and also the cnc manufacturing to create the new surfaces and as you quite mm -hmm. correctly said for am you know, if you have a bad ball quality, then the best surface in the world isn't going to save you. And that actually still holds very much true for a technology that's been around for hundreds of years uh, in, in, in the machining space uh, or environment. And, and yeah, I like the, the difference, right? The, the big difference. Um, and, and we can talk about surfaces a little bit. Um, but the big difference is the fact that and again, this is somewhat linked to part of its fusion or like systems and the technology behind it and the physics behind it is that your surface quality is kind of vary across the entire parts based on where, um, based on, on the surface that you're looking, right? Um, and that's like, that is probably one of the most challenging aspects is not necessarily the surface finishing, um, but it's like, how do I normalize a surface or do I need, because we are used to, um, and we, I said, as both a consumer, um, you know, engineer to some extent, um, we are used to have a part with the same surface quality everywhere because of the manufacturing process. But there's a question, do we need to have it? Right. What is the knockdown effect of not having? Do we need only local surface quality because we know that a part is only going to have some a specific set of critical um, location, for example? Um, and so, so I think this is this is this is one of the the the, the bigger question is to say, well, do you need to have this high quality everywhere? Like it actually the same for. For the materials properties, right? If you have a part that is only loaded in a specific locations, and you say, well, you know, this is the 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 concept of you know 
materials elements, right? Like as in, you know, you have pixels, picture elements, you have voxels, volume elements, and then you have like kind of maxels, like materials elements. And and the part, the, the point would be that, you know, does the part have to have the exact same properties everywhere? Um, because at the end of the day, it's like, if you don't need to have the performance everywhere, and you know there is a simulation that obviously back this up, and and some of the testing, of course, as a validation process. Do, do I need it? Um, because again, this quality has a cost, um, and if you're overdoing it, you you you're actually not getting necessarily everything that you can get out of it. Yeah. So 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 for me, it's like this is this is where you know, but again, it's like when we look at of irrespective right irrespective of whether we want to have you know a specific location to be very good uh, a specific location to be less good because we can you know it's okay the the focus should still be on robust and reliable it doesn't but it means that this robustness and reliable can be local um, and so we need to know and we need to to have a really clear understanding of what are the influence of the variables that we put through the process onto the final function. And again, we are thinking of, and we are discussing function as mechanical function, right? But it could be complete, it could be something else entirely, right? It could be that the function is, um, I don't know, um, you know, again, like if we talk about, let's say space applications, we could say, oh, well, the point is only to send messages or like to to you know send message back to earth at that point what is the function well the function is make sure that the 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 waves that we want to emit are emitted in the right way and everything okay that's it we don't necessarily have for example mechanical mechanical requirements and at that point do we actually care um, and so it's always linked back to the function and understand what is the function of the part. Of course, you're always going to have some, you know, requirements, uh, mechanical requirements, but they're not necessarily the end all and be all of of the process. Yeah. So, so you're you're actually raising two very valid and, and very important topics that are not necessarily again an AM only topic, but it's a general topic to think about. Uh, one of them is definitely the, the, the whole materials properties in a localized fashion, so the, the maxo approach, as, as you put it. Um, and obviously, this, this brings the whole topic of functionally grading materials with it as well. Now, sure. powder bed fusion, uh, metal powder bed fusion is definitely less suited than perhaps, let's say, a DED process or, or hybrid systems. So th th there is a whole slew of, of new technologies and developments in this in this AM space and also um, additional processes that are applied to conventional uh, technologies. But nonetheless, obviously, this rewrites the rulebook. We can start thinking about localizing the properties and tailoring the solution that we need to the requirements that they, they dictate in the first place and then you're also raising a very uh, important point and that is is the same let's say surface requirement or material bulk property required based on the application now we need to ask the question who defines this application requirement and that is still to this date the engineer that designs it or the team of engineers that design it. And I think there is a whole topic on the technical solution side of things. But then on the other hand, there is definitely a communication and a learning exercise to be had here as well, because quite often are we confronted with problems and, 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 uh, and solution approaches that are very well still based on the conventional way of thinking of, okay, hey, the surface quality needs to be the same in every direction. Now, we're asking the question, does it actually need to be? And most often, it turns out it doesn't. But because we've grown up and we've we've enjoyed our studies in, in that kind of way of thinking, that's the only way we think about this this approach or the, the solution. So, so now, with more modern uh, software tools, with more modern you know data generation tools and, and even design being partially put into an AI space and uh, I don't want to use too many keywords here, but um, a super trend. No, no, uh, all jokes aside, I mean, obviously now this, this enables us to really delve into the actual 
requirement that the application needs, not based on the experience of someone necessarily, but kind of developing it further, if you if you get what I uh, put out there. No, no, exactly. I mean, and, and again, it's like if we kind of look back, this is probably what is going to differentiate a widespread application to uh you know application for critical um critical component let's say um adoption for critical component the you know if if i'm <laughs> i'm kind of looking like yes okay i mean we can do tailoring we can tailor the, the, the microstructure we can um do it such as the local the thing is, this is not going to be picked up until the simulation is is going to be improved, right? Um, and then with the simulations, what also has to, to come is making sure that we understand the process so well that we can tailor, plus also account for, for, for the influence of any heat treatment that we want to apply. Um, so, so you know, <laughs> if I were to pick a low-hanging fruit, this is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> effectively um and this but this is definitely something where again like megatrends right this is where we would like to go um and and being able to do it um but there's definitely some challenges and again as you said part of education is probably not the best um kind of technology to do that although there is possibilities there too awesome I kind of want to pull the conversation back a bit more into the direction of reproducibility, but again, focus more on the, let's say, not single uni unique components. Obviously, that's a challenge in itself, but more into the reproducibility of a series production. Because one thing we haven't really talked about is the variability that we actually face in a powder bed fusion system and all the havoc it wreaks. Uh, on anything that comes after. So very specifically, I want to ask you about the, you know, how do we deal with part-to-part -part variability, machine-to-machine -machine vari variability, site-to-site uh, -site variability, build location, you know, all of these factors that can influence, and we know they do influence our parts. How can we start dealing with this problem to then make sure that we can, you know, cater for it and, and, and be able to... to not have it creep up as a problem later on. Yeah. So, okay. So, I mean, excellent, excellent point, right? The C's production, again, so my point is it's, it's relatively easy, but it needs to be done really carefully. That's, that's, and, and rigorously. Um, and you want to start not with your printing your component, right? I mean, you can, sure, but there's a lot of work that has to be done ahead of time. Um, as in characterizing to some extent the system that you're working on, characterizing the powder that is being used, um, characterizing the influence of the heat treatment, um, and and you know like kind of the the idea is that you have a funnel, right? You you have multiple processes that goes one after the other, um, and if we look kind of way up from the top, you have atomization. Um, from which you get the powder, which is effectively the raw materials which is being used. There is a variability here that you have to account for. Um, of course, not every company is atomizing and producing, um, but you know you have to. If you if if there is no if this is not something that is being produced, um, then you have to check whether the quality um, is the same, build on build, and and understanding what is the influence of the variability of, of you know your incoming goods effectively to the process itself. Difficult, challenging, annoying, um, but needs to be done nonetheless. Um, and then there is the role of the machine, right? And you need to really, you know, you could do what you know what we call like a build qualification process. Um, that's only give you a picture, right? It tells you, yep, my machine is the same, or my machine is, or or you know, the part across my machine is is different. Um, you also have to account and. <laughs> this is like, and this is where you found, as you said, it's like, ooh, there's this area that is not good, or there's this, um, you know, there's this, this, uh, I don't know, there's this variable that is very important in the process. Um, this is probably one of the things that you have to do most. And here, unfortunately, right, if you find that your, you could find that your that your machine is not capable, uh, just because the viability is too high. 
on on the, again this is the viability so on this very simple set um but you have to make sure um that you actually know your machines and again one of the problem is the machines are not the same um even from two different from from you know or at least at the moment, they're not the same, even from, two, from from the same manufacturers. At that point, you also have to account for, in a sales production, you say, okay, this machine is good, but doesn't mean that the next machine is okay. So you have to compare and the results and make sure that everything is okay. So this is the role of the machine. Um, and, and characterize this the best you can, and there's a ton of variables that needs to be accounted for. Um, but you know that's part of the job at that point. And then, only then, can you start going to the component itself. Um, and and you said, okay, now you you know the the, the kind of uh, Rousseau, uh, you know Jean-Jacques Rousseau, tabula rasa, right? That's the idea is you know you you kind of get everything away and you start from a strong foundation, and that from that you can actually build. Um, and then this is where the role of the components themselves are important because you're going to have maybe um, the fact that your, I don't know, melted area is changing over the entire build means that you may have different um, different materials property on the output. Um, and that needs to be to be accounted for um, as well. And here there is also the idea of saying, okay, all of the, everything is going to be um, heat treated to some extent, so whether the heat treatment is your saving grace, um, kind of normalizing back everything, kind of back to normals, and whether you know what is the deviation of that, um, and and whether that helps. Um, I'm going to give you an an anti example of this happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you Go know, that, uh, no saving grace. Uh, so there is a very useful test sample that we've developed a while ago. It's called the Mork measurement object for roughness qualification. And um, the idea behind it is obviously to, you know, be able to test certain types of variables on part-to-part -part variability, build location variability, machine-to-machine, etc., etc., and then kind of open up the whole slew of post-processing mechanisms. And we will definitely get to the whole post-processing side of things. Surfaces are very interesting <laughs> to me. No, um, but there, there is a really, really great example in, uh, of, of where the physical or the, where the design influenced the capability to be manufactured. So it's not necessarily a design for manufacture, but it's a... a, a problem in the design in its own right that the heat being pulled out of the component as it's being built obviously the heat travels down into the build plate the laser comes mm -hmm. from the top the cooling rate is proportional to the cross-sectional area uh, of of that section that's being melted at the moment and if that cross-section changes drastically from let's say a thin joining element to a more bulky material uh, maybe a, you, you would have a thin wall uh, versus uh, something really chunky on top um, in, in the Z direction. N now you're talking about a heat being pulled out less effectively, so you might have a difference in cooling rate. And now that physically changes the component. And on the mock, what we've seen is that it kind of bloomed outwards. And then as soon as there was a whole ring uh, of material being melted, that... Um, thermal deflection, as it were, kind of got frozen into space, right? So then we have the step in our component where there was no step designed. And that actually shows how reliable the, the cooling rate and the, and the heat evacuation in the AM process is, and we need to account for it in any post-processing steps that we apply. Same goes for really thin-walled components versus, you know, like just next to it, really uh, bulky material that, that creates so many problems. But yeah. these are real problems that, you know, the designers might not necessarily think about. And that's why you need to then test it and see, oh, can I fix it in post? Um, the analogy to, to video cutting. Um, or, or do I have to redesign it first and to, to cater to that problem? I, this is, I mean, this is a good point, of course. The, I mean, this is the influence of the process at the end of the day. And this is what I was mentioning about the effect that your, your melted area you know, can change over the entire component. And of course, that's, you know, what is important here is the heat flow. How is the heat flowing from, you know, the, 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 
the, the, the laser melting the, the component to the rest of the parts. Um, and this is linked with, you know, achieving different, both different surfaces, realistically, um, as well as, or different surface quality, as well as different mechanical properties, right? The point, and here what you're effectively referring to is to say, well, it's not just linked with the, uh, you know, the angle of the surface, but also, you know, how big is the walls, um, you know, how, how big is your wall thickness to some extent and how, what is above and underneath. Here, I would say that this is, your, your saving grace is, is doing the, the, the work ahead of time, as in just running simulation, quite literally. Um, because you're not going to be able um, to really account for the influence on surfaces, although some work uh, is being done along those ways. Um, but you also have, you're also going to be accounting for that distortion, right? Because the point is you don't want the distortion. And here you might want to say, oh, okay, this is a, there's a massive distortions. How can I combat it? Well, you're going to say, well, I can increase the, the, the wall thickness or I can add those, you know, this feature that just kind of channels the heat away that I would either incorporate into the design, which is the best solution, or remove it afterwards, which is the not, not so good solution. Less, <laughs> uh, less elegant solution. Yeah, but again, it's like it depends how the, the component that you are manufacturing fits, right? If it fits into another systems um, and interface matters, um, <laughs> you need to make sure you need to make sure that it doesn't interact with anything else, or the, the other thing else is being built around whichever. Um, yeah. But the then this is the questions, right? And this is this is where we've seen and probably uh, in Formnex we've also seen some um, quite interesting developments where you know we have we started to really kind of push forward the idea of process control and behind you know kind of what is directly behind the the process control is the closed loop control as a way to really kind of get this under uh under check effectively and to say oh okay now the heat is so high that i need to decrease my to some extent, volumetric energy density, such that it just kind of goes because I don't need so much power as a way to melt this area because the heat is being retained and and I'm just making use of that. Right. So, so you're essentially um, using a seat warmer <laughs> from from the previous layer. The pre underneath well, section we, is still warm, so you don't need as much energy. No, exactly. But exactly, we are yeah. already doing this, right? We are yeah. already doing this by having base plate heating. This is exactly what we're doing, right? We are increasing the temperature so that the process window is more manageable. Yeah, exactly. So, 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 so we are doing it. It's, it's not that we are not doing it. It's just instead of doing it for the entire, like, you know, for the base plate, we just account for the process itself so that we can account for the, the way this is uh, happening on a layer per layer basis as we manufacture the component. So I'm going to read between the lines now and reinterpret what you just said and say, if anybody's out there that wants to really delve into the simulation and, and software de development to make this happen robustly, that we literally just stick a CAD model in and it says uh, what it needs to correct for automatically, then we're talking more about an industrialization. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is this is just the industrializations. But what you need, like, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you like the thing is it doesn't mean that you um, you, you don't have to do your homework in 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 investigating the role of the pounder, the role of the machine, and the role of the component themselves. It's all part of the work. But of course, you want to be smart so that if we, you know, I would say that it's cost less money to run a, a good simulation um, or it should cost less money to run a good simulation compared to do the same build multiple times until you find the right process or the right either process parameters or the right parameters so that the machine uh, or the component comes out good yeah and, and you're not even mentioning a failed build at this point because obviously that comes before the multiple builds that might work that are still not <laughs> yeah. up to your uh, reliability exactly. and repeatability and so, 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 requirements but but you see, and, and this is important, right? You see how success is measured in different way, right? 
because in this case, what we are saying is we're saying, yes, we press a button on the machine and it just runs. But there is a lot of work that has been done before and to some extent will need to be done after to ensure that this press of a button is successful. Because at the end of the day, the AM process and the, 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 the manufacturing of the part is obviously a critical aspect of additive manufacturing. But it's not the only one. It's okay. a critical one, but there's other processes that needs to be kind of checked uh, okay. there. And this is kind of lends us perfectly yeah, well, into a discussion about the surface. Right? <laughs> exactly. So, so a, a smooth travel, um, uh, definitely. Exactly. I mean, so, so in, in our teaser episode, we talked a lot about, you know, is surface engineering dead? Uh, we talked a lot about different types of surface modif modification technologies and where they fall and, you know, how they're useful, how they might have to be developed or how, you know, complex multiple step processes, process chains uh, are now being developed to, to serve uh, a single function to, to optimize the performance in that sense. And obviously, you know, surfaces are super, super critical for additive uh, com additively manufactured components and we highlighted this in our first two episodes at form next so the live shows so do listen to them uh, for, for some more background information and here again i think that the, the whole topic is very much again on reliability and a robust performance that we need with a couple of assumptions to 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 come with it obviously now the assumption is we've manufactured a component additively so i have something in my hand it's a diamond in the rough it's a as as a research like a and industry gem, right it's like yeah somewhere in there it's literally it's, it's like it's somewhere you have your actual part and, inside it you just need to find it and and actually this is where the term uh, comes from from research and and also industry AM is a near net shape process. Now, what we need to now do is bring the shape to net shape to the actual requirements. And that's why you always have, you know, the CAD model of the component as, it, as it's supposed to be. But then you also need to have a predecessor step uh, a digital file of your component of how it's supposed to be made. And that comes back into the whole uh, simulation, you know, process control topic. But now I also need to account for, let's say, some stock added onto the, my surfaces so that I can then bring back the surface to find the real hidden gem, as it were. And I want to know from you, how far is the industry there? <laughs> Maybe that's a bit extreme, but, um, you know, what, what, what do we have to do in terms of developing the chains of post-processing so that we can bring out the component to requirements. I, just to be bold, right? <laughs> just to be bold. Do it. Um, we currently have all of the solutions to finish surfaces. Okay, I'm going to be bold again and say, yes, we have the solutions, but we don't know how to use them quite yet. Absolutely. And that's my <laughs> point. We have all of the solutions, but which one should we choose for which application in which way, um, you know, and we have to make decision. And this is the difficult part when, you know, if Matthias, you were to give me a design today and I'm going to say, um, and of course, you gave me a design. Great. Thank you very much. That's nice. Um, okay. With this design, can you give me the requirements? The, the um, uh, what's called uh, GDNT, right? Geometrically, uh, geometric um, dimensions and tolerances of this component. Where do you want this? Then I have to do a few things. Because and and then you give me the surface, the surface, uh, the surface that you want. Then I have to do a few things, right? I have to look and say, okay, how I'm going to assess those, you know, geometric dimension and and, the tool, and and making sure that I'm within the solutions that are provided. Step one, um, and that's going to require probably different, uh, and this is you know linked with the quality, of course. Um, then 
I'm also going to have to look at the surface requirements and say, okay, which are the technologies that straight up, oh, sorry, technologies or combination of technologies that can reach such a, such a, such a requirement. And then I'm going to have to say, okay, how much, like, what do I want to do? And again, this is going back to, you know, does it have to be locally somewhere else? Like, of course, I can just machine this area and perfect. Or, or do I need to do some something more advanced? Does it have to be everywhere? Um, and that, I think, is, 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 is the crucial part, is establishing, to some extent, ahead of time, um, what is the envisioned surface finishing process. I mean, and here we probably also want to account for potential distortion during the heat treatment, right? Um, and say, okay, so we have, and say, okay, now I need to make a new component that is not going to be the final, that's not, maybe not going to even resemble the, the final component, but that is the component that I can work with, right? Is your, this is the, um, the stone that you're going to hammer down, sculpt as a way to get the, the final statue that you have. But you need to kind of know what you want to do, but you also know what you can remove, what you cannot. And then you need to, to, to have to select the, 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 the stone that you kind of work with. And this is, this is difficult. Um, for many reasons, this is difficult because um, the it might require some redesign, and so at that point you have to have discussions and say, well, that uh, looks absolutely lovely. Uh, we just cannot manufacture that. <laughs> right. It's it's essentially not necessarily a design for additive manufacturing, which I remember at university time that. It was drilled into me. Design for manufacture is a super critical uh, aspect of your design process. It has to happen. And, you know, within the AM space, obviously, we talk a lot about design for additive manufacturing. But what this exactly. very often omits is the design for post-processing. And I think we need to coin this and make this like the absolute top priority. Any de design for additive manufacturing is all nice uh, and, and, you know, Okay, you can have it. That's fine. I accept it. But you can not have a finished component if you don't consider the design for post-processing. So it's like that's, a subset I mean, that, of the design for AM in a in a matter of thinking. To to some extent, this is being done, right? It's not that people are completely pervious to it. Oh yeah, of course. Um, but it's very difficult, and the problem is that if it's not well understood um or well considered you may have you know designed the component maybe even heat treated it that's something that just you cannot finish to the to the standards that is required um and and here again then this is especially critical for a one-of-a-kind critical component yeah right if you have series productions you kind of said well I have 10,000 parts, I can run through 10 to find the right stress combinations. If you have one critical component, um, you don't really have that luxury. Yeah. And so so here there is also like the fact and, and, and the case that it has to be understand from, from the, the final user that for one of a kind component, I might need to print five. And, and if it's not possible, um, then it just put a lot of strain on to uh, getting the the right. Of course, there is, you know, as you do it, the more you do it, the more you you see the process, the more you you know the technology, the more you understand the influence of of various, let's say, surface finishing processes or even the influence of the heat treatment, and then you get better, and then you, it's kind of background information at that point and and you know exactly what to do but this is not necessarily um this is someone that works with the machines and run let's say entire project that might get most aware of those things but this is not necessarily something that a final user might uh, understand 
um which is obviously like a, a challenge on its own because then you have to <laughs> like and we're not even you know we're not even talking about explaining the difference between like waviness and roughness <laughs> right <laughs> that's a different episode i think that's when we really delve into the surface technologies there no, um, exactly but this is important yeah oh god 100 percent. i fully like, agree communications is key especially yeah. in those cases because we um, everyone needs to understand sufficiently the process and the key uh, aspect of it as a way to speak the same language and communicate effectively. I kind of want to steer the conversation a bit more into the direction of planning for post-processing, but then also how that influences the cost and the time aspect. Now, obviously, with the third triangle part again it's the quality aspect obviously um no no but uh, all jokes aside you know the, the the one thing that we've seen time and again and I, I speak from personal experience here is often enough the am application is scoped out so that the whole you know project is laid out and you kind of try to anticipate what kind of post-processing you might need to apply, but then it actually turns out the reality is something completely different. All of a sudden, your your costs go through the roof, and I've seen this many times. And you know, no, there is not a single person to be at fault or, or a single process to be at fault here. It's it's the reality that kicks in at some point. You know, the requirements haven't been met, and the whole business model that has been calculated based on the assumption of let's say a little post-processing then actually turned out into a behemoth of the the, the reality of the, the the surfaces and and the quality not being there from the am process alone obviously it's a near net shape component and then needing to be uh, manufactured as a whole and, and and you know optimized in the post-processing stage and often enough that makes or breaks the success of a whole project like this you know I'm, i don't want to give very specific examples because obviously there are many different kinds but one thing that we've seen in in the past is you know people talk about the chunk of cost of the post processing and you know sometimes you'll hear numbers like oh it's 20% of the am cost and then you're like okay easy that's no problem you know we can we can account for that but then there are these examples where we where we've seen uh, you know 80 90 200% of the am cost is the post processing cost and then all of a sudden you know you're you're finishing as many people refer to it is is double as expensive as your am component itself in terms of worth and, and, and money you have to put in and invest. So how can we start to really understand what that does with our business models? Because that changes everything all of a sudden. Yeah, but <laughs> again, I mean, this is, I mean, to some extent, this is part of my everyday work, I would say, but the the fact of the matter is that you know, I'm not you know, all like we we have such a large set of surface finishing technology to draw from. I'm not saying that they are all perfect, right? They are definitely not. Um, but through combination of those, we can get there. I mean, but we also know, um, and we have to be very clear that there's some process or there's some component that we can just cannot manufacture. Um, just because, but what is key, absolutely critical, is that we understand from the get-go what are the okay, geometrical dimensions and the tolerances which need to be met after, like, at the end. Um, we need to understand um, what are the surface requirements. And from... And, this is linked to the criticality of the part, whether like what is the final function of the parts, whether those are actually required. Again, with the, are they required everywhere? Same thing for the for the materials properties. And it could be right. It could be it could be that some processes or some some component cannot be additively manufactured as they are now. And then the question becomes like, well, can we change the design? Um, and that's okay too, right? It's like if you if you need to have a CNC 
accuracy on the part, then I don't know that you should use, you know, metal AM, especially if those surfaces are not accessible afterwards. Um, and this is where, you know, um, hybrid manufacturing becomes important. Um, the question here is whether those things are niche or overall very useful. Um, my kind of today's comment would be that they are niche. There is definitely some education that would benefit from those, um, but they're not the whole grail, right? They're not the only grail because that also comes at a cost, right? And to some extent, if we can say from the beginning, it's like, ooh, from those surface requirement, that's going to be quite challenging and that's going to cost you. But if the performance that is collected by having such a additively manufactured component is there, why not? Why not? It just means that, yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, it's going to be challenging. Yes, it's going to take some time. And maybe there's going to have to be some development ahead of the project to make sure that everything is set and met. But that's the way we push forward the technology. So as a final thought, then, I think the road to success really lies in the holistic approach to manufacturing. It's not that we can evaluate and say, okay, hey, we're going to use a single technology and that's going to be the you know solution to my problem necessarily. It's to have a look at the whole process chain and evaluate if the business models make sense, if the quality, if the, if the uh, robustness of the processes are enough and are the most cost effective in terms of you know actual cost, uh, manufacturing speeds, uh, bulk material properties, surface properties, all, all the other topics that we've highlighted in this episode. And only now are we learning how complex these multiple systems that really closely link into each other are. And uh, with the continued development now, we actually understand and, and, and will understand further in the future, um, you know, what the critical pain points are, what, what technologies we need to invest in, what we need to look at, what we need to make sure that we understand before even starting to reevaluate certain business models. Um, and I think the, the, the silver lining of this all is it's going to get easier with time, the, with more experience, with, with better systems, with be better software, with better hardware, you know, but it's never going to be just a simple process. What will you say, Olivier? I like for me, yeah, I mean, everything you said is true. The, the things that we don't want a simple process, like, and, and, or, or better, the aim is never for a simple process. The aim should be to have additive manufacturing as a conventional manufacturing process, right? Um, you know, it's like, I, I, I don't want to say that, you know, machining is, is a simple process. It's, but it's highly controlled, highly reliable, um, because we have decades and decades of experience. Um, and to some extent, one of the things that I would like to see is more like taking all of the knowledge that has happened in conventional manufacturing and apply it to additive manufacturing, um, such that additive manufacturing is not this weird special process but instead something that is more controlled and more understood um, so that more people can use it and especially in critical application this is probably one of the most um, interesting and challenging avenues but worthwhile the um, the effort so essentially going from a niche kind of process environment into the more mainstream to become more widely adapt, uh, adopted and, and further developed over time. Yeah, I mean, and we see this shift already, right? It's, yeah, we are shifting from like additive manufacturing to advanced matter manufacturing. It just happens that it's both AM. Um, <laughs> but but uh, advanced manufacturing is true. I mean, we can always kind of put the emphasis that this is new, this is kind of next gen, this is the, the holy grail, um, and this is more advanced than everything else we do. But 
yeah, I, we want it to be a um, process that is robust and reliable. And if we can get that for both the surface or the, for both the, the bulk and the surface, then we are on our way um, to press a button and press play. Awesome. So then let's press that button and let's let's go. Um, thank you very much, Olivier. It was really great to have your insight on this. Really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it was it was a nice discussion. Um, always enjoy. Um, this is a somewhat of a topic that I have uh, at heart. So so always uh, interesting um, to discuss and to to exchange viewpoints there. Did you enjoy this episode of Interface Matters? Then don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you do have any feedback, ideas, or topics, then feel free to send us an email at interfacematters at surfineers.com or have a look in the show notes below where you can contact us quite easily. Interface Matters is powered by the Surfineers.